everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., that's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Wearied at last, may the impious race of thirsty Tantalus give over its lust for savagery. Enough sin has been wrought, nothing has right availed or general wrong. Himself betrayed, fell murderless, betrayer of his lord, and dragged down by the faith which he had shown, he made a sea famous by its change of name. To Ionian ships no tale is better known. 
while the little son ran to his father's kiss, welcomed by sinful sword. He fell, an untimely victim at the hearth, and by the right hand was carved, O Tantalus, that you might spread a banquet for the gods, your guests. Such food eternal hunger, such eternal thirst pursues, nor for such bestial viands could have been meted penalty more fit. Weary with empty throat stands Tantalus, above his guilty head hangs food in plenty, than Phineas's birds more elusive. On either side with laden boughs a tree leans over him, and, bending and trembling neath its weight of fruit, makes sport with his wide-straining jaws. The prize, though he is eager and impatient of delay, deceived so oft, he tries no more to touch, turns away his eyes, shuts tight his lips, and behind clenched teeth he bears his hunger. But then the whole grove lets its riches down nearer still, and the mellow fruits above his head mock him with drooping boughs and wet again the hunger, which bids him ply his hands in vain. When he has stretched these forth and gladly has been baffled, the whole ripe harvest of the bending woods is snatched far out of reach. Then comes a raging thirst, harder to bear than hunger, when by this his blood has grown hot and glowed as with fiery torches. The poor wretch stands, catching at waves that seem to approach his lips, but these the elusive water turns aside, failing in meager shallows, and leaves him utterly, striving to pursue. Then deep from the whirling stream he drinks but dust. Hi, and welcome to my absolute favorite time of year. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I am your host, Liv, here to bring you our sixth year of spooky season, the only themed month, a themed anything that has been running in this podcast since the very first year, because oh, it's, it's the best season. <laughs> what can I say? This month, as always, I am bringing you a collection of the spookiest, goriest stories from the ancient Greek and Roman world. Of course, as much as I would love to it to be all spooky at its spookiestness, we do often rely on horror and gore when it comes to myth, but that certainly works too, and it's particularly true this year. This year's spooky season is many things, because I decided to just go all out, just, just for funsies. Today, I am bringing you a, a deep dive into my personal favorite cursed family, those who love a bit of cannibalism alongside their infanticide, as one does this time of year, or, you know, just generally in these iconic mythological families of Greece. That's right, we are returning to the curse with so many levels that it goes by many, many names. But like today's episode, it begins as the curse of the Tantalids, and next week... 
Well, we're returning to my new favorite Roman writer, none other than Seneca, the man who brought us the absolutely iconic version of Medea that we looked at in August. Because, well, when I learned that he had a play called the Thyestes, I knew there was absolutely nothing else to be done for spooky season. I I simply had to cover it. But I'm getting ahead of myself, because Thyestes also happens to be part of this oh-so-cursed family. So we must begin with his ancestors, the Tantalids. This is a multi-generational cannibalistic family. <laughs> and like, is there is there a word for that specific act of cannibalizing one's relatives and or children? Because this family needs a word for that. This is episode 231, Murder After Murder, Generation After Generation, The Curse of the Tantalids and the Pelopidae. Tantalus is punished in Hades by having a stone impending over him, by being perpetually in a lake, and seeing at his shoulders on either side trees with fruit growing beside the lake. The water touches his jaws, but when he would take a draught of it, the water dries up. And when he would partake of the fruits, the trees with the fruits are lifted by winds as high as the clouds. Some say that he is thus punished because he blabbed to men the mysteries of the gods and because he attempted to share ambrosia with his fellows. It starts with the child of Zeus, because of course the most cursed family line in all of Greek mythology starts with the child of Zeus. It starts with the child of Zeus and his hubris. Again, I wonder where he got it from. The passage I read at the very top of the episode was from none other than Seneca and his Thyestes, because I just couldn't wait until next week when we get into that play properly. And the quote I read just now was from Pseudo Apollodorus to give us just a taste of what is to come in Tantalus's troubling tale. Rhyming is spooky, right? Tantalus was the son of Zeus and the progenitor of this mind-bendingly cursed family line. Tantalus is from the east, in Phrygia, and all of this takes place on a mountain called Sipolis. But frankly, there's too much curse to cover for us to worry too hard about the locale. It's what he did that I want to talk about. That's where we'll find all the blood and gore. But what he actually did to anger the gods and find himself the recipient of one of the most famous eternal punishments isn't quite as clear. In fact, the same goes for the punishment itself, though that Tantalus was indeed being eternally punished in the depths of Tartarus is perpetually true. There are actually a few brief versions of what exactly Tantalus did, and another two versions of what exactly his punishment looked like, all of which, of course, revolve around unrelenting hubris. He doesn't stray that far beyond the bounds of what is officially not okay in the eyes of the gods. Honestly, this surprised even me, which is frankly why I love revisiting stories that I've only told in those earliest days of the podcast. Tantalus is so famous for one version of his story, one version of his punishment, but it turns out that, as we should all assume at this point, it is not quite so simple. 
We'll start with the lesser known options, the one I didn't tell you in those earlier, less detailed episodes of this cursed family. This is the PG version of Tantalus's story. It is the child-friendly, quite literally, <laughs> the kinder story of Tantalus's crimes and his punishment. It says that this son of Zeus was spending his time amongst the Olympians, one of the few to ever have that luxury, for reasons that will become clear. He was socializing with the gods as if he was almost one of them, and Zeus particularly got so comfortable with having Tantalus there, with treating him as someone even close to an equal, that on a whim one day he decided he wanted to grant Tantalus a favor. So he told his son that he could have whatever he wanted. And what Tantalus wanted was, well, an even more distinct level of equality than the one that he'd had a taste of. He asked Zeus that he be granted a life the same as the gods. Zeus was horrified. What a request! But he'd made a promise and he had to keep it. And if you think this experience acts as a deterrent to Zeus, <laughs> that he won't offer a similar favor for, to a mortal in the future, well, you would be giving Zeus far too much credit. But he was in it now. He granted this to Tantalus, but it came at a price. He hung a boulder, a rock, over Tantalus's head, so that while he might live like the gods to an extent, it would, well, always be hanging over his head. Another version of Tantalus's crime suggests that while hanging with the Olympians, as he was seemingly wont to do, he determined to steal ambrosia and nectar, the food and drink of the gods, and share it with his mortal friends. This was, well, not a good idea for obvious reasons. And in this case, Tantalus found himself with a similar punishment to the last story. Punishment in Tartarus for eternity with a boulder hanging over his head, just waiting to drop. But of course, it's Tantalus's most famous story that I want to talk about most. Because, well, who doesn't love a story of a father killing his son and then feeding him to the gods just because he can? This most famous and bloody and gory and generally fucked up version of Tantalus' story goes that this man, this son of Zeus, who, no matter the story, has far too high an opinion of himself when it comes to interactions with the Olympian gods, determined that he was going to invite the gods to a banquet at his home on Mount Hippolys. Tantalus had a son at this point whose name was Pelops. And like the other versions of Tantalus' story, the gods were comfortable hanging out with this mortal. It was simpler times, and the gods learned their lesson. Now, though, they were, they were happy to interact with the mortal, to feast with him like he was one of them. A mistake. Tantalus wanted to test the gods for reasons we don't have in any detail. He just, I don't know, he was just full of himself? He wanted to see if the gods were as special as humans were being led to believe? And how does one test that theory? Well, certainly they set out to see whether the Olympian gods can distinguish flesh meant for eating from flesh of the much more human variety. So, Tantalus, well, he killed his son Pelops, cut him up into bite-sized chunks, and cooked him in some way that he was then prepared 
to feed to the Olympian gods to test this bizarre and inconceivable theory. And the gods very nearly proved Tantalus to be wrong, to be ridiculous forever suggesting that the gods would eat human flesh before realizing that it was not meant to be eaten. They very nearly avoided this inhumane crime. Because in case it needs to be said, the practice of eating human flesh is very frowned upon by the ancient Greeks. But, well, one of the Olympian gods just wasn't at her best. Demeter was distracted. She missed her daughter. Her thoughts and mind were elsewhere. And besides, who would have possibly thought to feed the gods human flesh? She shouldn't have had to watch so carefully what she was eating. Demeter took a single bite before the other gods could stop her, could point out that something about the feast served by Tantalus was very, very wrong. And anyway, where's your son, Tantalus? Why don't we hear the pitter-patter of little child feet? The rest of the gods knew before Demeter, and they stopped her after the one bite, turning on Tantalus. They restored the boy Pelops to life, putting him back together after his father's horrific crime. But they couldn't fix that little bite that had been taken, couldn't bring the flesh back out from Demeter's stomach. So instead, they gave Pelops a nice shoulder made of ivory. So he was forever special, even if he might also have to forever remember the time his father killed him and served him to the gods to eat. But for all he was restored to life, for all he became just a little more special because of that ivory shoulder, Pelops wasn't about to escape the now generational fate of his family. When your father does something like that, it taints you all. That isn't about to just go away. It's not just the curse of the Tantalids, after all. There are three names for this curse. Three generations that kept it moving. Not that the last generation escaped unscathed. But I'm getting ahead of myself. There's another story of Pelops at this time, one presented by Pindar in one of his Olympian odes. It's unique, not something that seems to appear in these details elsewhere, but it's horrifying in a new and different way, so we're going to talk about it. According to Pindar, Tantalus might not have actually fed his child to the gods, because he never had the chance. Or the poor boy does still get fed to the gods, and it's after he's resurrected that things manage to get even worse for him. See, in this telling by Pindar, the young Pelops was spotted by none other than Poseidon, the god you never want to encounter alone, let alone tempt by just existing in a body that he finds attractive. And that's what happened to Pelops. Poseidon saw the boy and determined that he had to have him. Had to make him his almost certainly unwilling lover. In Pindar's version, it's embarrassing that anyone ever managed to claim that such a crime by Tantalus ever took place. That it's simply impossible that the gods ever actually ate human flesh. Blasphemy! Instead, the reason that Pelops was gone without a trace was that he was violently abducted by Poseidon, brought to Olympus to serve a similar fate to poor Ganymede. 
we won't go into detail for obvious reasons. But yes, the implication is that Pelops was missing from Tantalus's feast because Poseidon had abducted him to become his unwilling sex slave. Like I said, a very different type of horror, but horrifying nonetheless. Frankly, that's my least favorite type of horror to talk about, despite being the most common in Greek myth. So today we're focusing more on the other horror that comes to this very, very cursed family. And fortunately, that's only Pindar's version, because there's an awful lot to Pelops' story that requires him to be very much still down on Earth, living a vaguely normal, mythologically speaking, life. He's still got a brand new familial curse to deal with. But first, Tantalus needs to be punished. And punished he is. Tantalus goes on to become not only the basis for the word tantalize, but one of the most famous punishments in the underworld. For his transgressions, for killing and cutting up his son, cooking him in a stew and feeding it to the gods just for kicks. As a weird and vaguely baffling test. For this... Tantalus is trapped in Tartarus, that darkest, most dreary depths of the underworld, where a rock hangs over his head, ready to drop at any moment so that he never has a moment's peace. And deep in Tartarus, Tantalus stands in a pool of water, surrounded by the hydrating life source, but perpetually unable to drink from it. At the same time, food is suspended over his head, hanging fresh and ripe from magical trees that seem to sprout everything that he could possibly want. Delicious, soul-soothing food hangs over him, mouth-watering and forever out of reach. He cannot drink the water that surrounds him, no matter how thirsty he is, no matter how badly he tries to drink. He can't. And he can't eat the food hanging right in front of his face. He can grab at it, yank it from the tree all he wants, or perhaps be incapable of even reaching it in the first place. Regardless of the means, he is unable to eat it. Ever. He just gets to exist in Tartarus. Forever tantalized. <laughs> See what I did there? And by me, I mean the ancient Greeks and subsequently the English language. With those crimes of Tantalus, his punishments by the gods, begins the curse. The curse of the Tantalids, soon to become the curse of the Pelopidae, because gods, this family, will never ever escape the curse that Tantalus started by testing the gods for no reason other than his own vain hubris. Men, am I right? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Speaking of men, there's one daughter amongst this cursed, cursed line of men, Niobe. She famously bragged that she was better at being a mother or at childbirth than the goddess of childbirth, mother of Artemis and Apollo, Leto. As punishment, Niobe's 14 children were killed by the gods. But well, I don't want to tell her story in detail today. I want to focus on the men, the men who did the killing, because killing, they did. It's Pelops we're going to shift to next, the next in the cursed line and the son of Tantalus who will go on to inspire the next name in the cursed family line. We're shifting to the curse of the Pelopidae. Pelops grew up. He became a man of a of certain age, and that certain age was when he was heading out in search of an appropriate wife. Enter Hippodamia. Hippodamia was the daughter of a king, Enemias in what is not yet called the Peloponnese, for reasons I will leave you to guess. When Pelops met Hippodamia, it seems he, he knew immediately that he wanted to marry her. Her father, though, would do just about anything to prevent that from happening. This bit of the story is unfortunately fragmentary, but thankfully, Pseudo-Apollodorus came along and told us some details. 
He also tells us in a troubling rarity for stories like this that Hippodamia seems to have actually felt the same for Pelops as he felt for her. Or at least, even if she didn't necessarily find Pelops to be the seriously hot shit that he considered himself, with what I'm about to tell you about her father, well, we can make an assumption that maybe, just maybe, regardless of any passion she might have had for the man, life with Pelops might be just a little bit better than life with her father. You see, Enomaeus's motivations with his daughter aren't entirely clear, but neither option are ideal. See, either Enomaeus had learned a prophecy from the oracle that he will be killed by the man that Hippodamia marries, or, or he's quote-unquote in love with her himself, and thus refuses to give her up to a man in marriage. He, he's keeping his daughter for himself. Gross. Either way, it seems Enomaeus has made it a habit to kill every man who's ever shown interest in marrying his daughter. He's a chill dad, definitely someone you want to bring a boyfriend home to. Enomaeus has a system, though. See, whenever a man comes by who wants to marry Hippodamia, Enomaeus says that if the man can beat him in a chariot race, then he will be welcome to marry her. The race isn't simple, but it shouldn't be impossible either. The man attempting to woo her, a word that many translations are using and I love it, the man attempting to woo her is to take Hippodamia with him on his own chariot and take off in the direction of the Isthmus of Corinth. They're meant to reach the Isthmus where there is an altar to Poseidon, the end of the race. And then maybe if he survived long enough to reach that altar, perhaps the man might have been able to ride off with Hippodamia into the sunset. It wasn't just any chariot race, though. It was basically a race to the death. The men competing would drive their chariot, but Enomaeus could seemingly do anything he wanted in an attempt to stop them. Deadly weapons and straight-up murder included. And so, as you might expect, none of the men who had yet attempted to beat Enomaeus in the chariot race, who had attempted the race so that they might marry Hippodamia, had survived to tell the tale. There are many lists of the men who have died in these past attempts to marry the young woman. Men like Alcathous, Lassius, and Eurymachus, which are just the three that appear in most of the accounts of Enomaeus's victims. Because, well, Enomaeus had help from a certain god of war, one who so rarely inserts himself into the lives of mortals. Ares. It's possible that Enomaeus was himself a child of Ares, or perhaps he just got lucky and the god of war smiled upon him. But either way, he had armor and weapons from Ares, a chariot that was seemingly unbeatable, and a driver, Myrtilus, who drove the chariot well enough that Enomaeus always, always won the race. The men always, always ended up dead usually with the Spear of Ares thrust through one of their more important body parts. Minamias always won. At least, he won every race up until this final one. What made this race different? 
Why was this the time that Enomaius would finally fail in his attempts to kill off every man that wanted to kill his daughter? Some might say that it was the chariot Pelops drove, or maybe Pelops himself. But I have a more plausible reason. A woman. See, this time, Hippodamia really fucking wanted to marry Pelops, and she was going to do what she could to make that happen. She also probably was keen to have her father stopped. He'd killed an awful lot of men in her name. It was time to put a stop to that. When Hippodamia fell for Pelops, she knew immediately what her father would do in his attempts to prevent her from marrying. So this time, she came up with a plan. Hippodamia spoke to her father's chariot driver, Myrtilus, and convinced him to sabotage her father's chariot so that he might finally lose. Why Myrtilus was happy to do this for Hippodamia varies depending on the source, but he very well might have been in love with her, a plot point that we will return to. Either way, Myrtilus agreed to help Hippodamia, and in helping her, help Pelops win this otherwise deadly chariot race. It would be easy enough. Myrtilus decided, with, I like to think, uh, the help of Hippodamia, that he would simply remove a linchpin from Enomaius's chariot and replace it with something a little different. It was a pin meant to look the same, not raise any suspicions, but it was made of wax. This way, once the chariot was going fast enough, was generating enough heat, the wax linchpin would melt, and the wheels would fly off Enomaius's chariot, the chariot would fall to pieces, and Enomaius would fall, or rather tumble, to his death. This is exactly what happened. Myrtilus's plan worked perfectly. Enomaius was killed by a fall from his own chariot. Though he discovered what Myrtilus had done, and at the last moment of his life, he called out a curse to Myrtilus that he would die at the hands of Pelops. Of course, everyone kind of just ignored the dying man's curse. Pelops was able to marry Hippodamia as he'd hoped and planned, or rather as she had hoped and planned. I think she's made it perfectly clear that she has the brains in this relationship. Can you tell that I'm feeling particularly righteously angrily feminist right now? Long live Hippodamia. But her ordeal with her father and chariots and messy, even deadly relationships wasn't finished yet. Myrtilus, you see, took to heart that he'd been the one to help Hippodamia, ignoring the fact that she did pretty explicitly ask him to help her so that she could marry Pelops. Myrtilus wasn't interested in that factor. So, according to our most detailed source on this bit, after Hippodamia, Pelops, and Myrtilus had successfully defeated Enomaius, they were traveling back, or perhaps just traveling elsewhere, it isn't clear. What's clear is that the three of them were traveling, and at one point, they stopped along the way. Pelops, we're told, went off in search of water for his wife. Nice. And once he was away from Myrtilus and Hippodamia, well... Myrtilus tried to rape her. He, it seems, felt that he was owed something from her, a tale as old as time. Fortunately, Pelops finds out about Myrtilus's attempted assault, and he throws him off a cliff into the sea. Nothing he didn't deserve, if you ask me. But, well, this is a cursed family after all. So as Myrtilus was falling to his death into a sea that would go on to take his name... He called out a curse on Pelops and his family. 
For a while, Pelops and Hippodamia forgot about the curse, or at least they didn't let it run their lives. Pelops was purified for the killings of Enemias and Myrtilus, and eventually, though we are missing any details, he took enough control over the region that would become the Peloponnese to, well, call it the Peloponnese. He and Hippodamia had four children, but only two that we care about. Atreus and Thyestes. And everyone lived happily ever after, and nobody killed and ate anyone else's children. No one sacrificed their daughter for a bit of wind. No one started sleeping with their cousin's wife, only to plot that cousin's murder along with that wife. And definitely no one's children then killed their mother and were hounded by the Furies. Just kidding. Next week, we're diving into Seneca's play, Thyestes. spooky season <laughs> thirds thank you as always for listening i am so excited for this year's spooky season not least because i've discovered that i somehow love a roman playwright so much that i am dying to read thyestes and share it all with you but also because well i'm just gonna have some fun this spooky season and like really throw everything imaginable at you because greek myth is horrifying in the most enjoyable of ways <laughs> Let's make this ending short and sweet today, shall we? As always, here's a five-star review from one of you amazing listeners. This one is from Nat NJP in Canada. Incredible! I've been listening to this podcast for months now, and it's been my favorite since the beginning. I'm not much of a fan of podcasts, but this is the only exception. I've learned a lot about myths and had fun and laughs along the way. I recommend this podcast to all of my friends when they say they want to learn more about Greek mythology. Thank you. That review is lovely. You are all the best. Consider leaving me a review on Apple, would you? And Spotify listeners, stay tuned. I'm going to put up a poll after this episode because I want to know what your favorite part of spooky season is. It is, after all, my favorite time of year. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians, perhaps more colloquially known as the assistant producer. The podcast is hosted and monetized by iHeartMedia. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron, where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Visit patreon.com slash mythsbaby or click the link in this episode's description. I don't know why I do that so fast. I am Liv, and I love this shit, but I love it even more when I get to dedicate a month to dark and dreary and violent and bloody and lots of people killing their family members because Greek myth. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com. 
where America goes to hire. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.